It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to Monday.com. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. On the 1st of March. So happy St. David's Day to any of our Welsh listeners listening to the programme and happy St. David's Day uh, to anyone who's called uh, David. Uh, we welcome you along to the programme. John Paul is taking your calls at 1850 333 103. Texting and WhatsApping is also available at 0862 103 103. Uh, and actually I've spotted a text that came in or was it sent in last night or was it sent in early this morning I think it might have been sent in uh, overnight from uh, Donny to say Patricia and Carrie Navarre uh, last night they had, we had a power cut power went out from 7.15 until 9.55 so all I had to listen to was my battery radio and I must say the music and the songs on C103 last night was excellent Foster and Allen etc all very entertaining excellent station uh, thank you from uh, Donny I shall that was Eric Griffin would have been on it at that hour of the evening doing a fine show I'll pass on your kind regards uh, Donny and uh, it's good every now and again isn't it though when the TV goes off you've no other choice but to listen to the radio I would be lost without radio you know that question that often get a- gets asked if you're on a desert island what would you bring with you I would have to say without a doubt I would have to bring a radio of some description that wouldn't need batteries so the batteries didn't run out. Solar powered. Give me a solar powered radio so that I would always have a, a radio. And there's something nice to think about having a radio on. So good to know, uh, Donny, that you enjoyed the radio uh, so much yesterday evening. Now, on the programme today, we are getting reaction to Scouting Ireland and how they are reacting to the news from Tusla, the recommendations from Tusla and also the hard-hitting statement that was made by the Children's Minister, Catherine Sapone, in the Dáil uh, this week. And my, when I was listening to it, I was saddened. My, my initial reaction was I was saddened because I do think Scouting Ireland is a wonderful, wonderful organisation. And when you hear something like this and when you hear such strong recommendations being made, recommendations being made to almost suggest scrapping the overnight camps and you think overnight camps is what scouting is all about and it's almost hearing it it felt like is this the beginning of the end of scouting in Ireland and I would hate to see the day where we would lose an organisation like 
Scouting Ireland that's not to say if there are mistakes wash them under the carpet I'm, I'm not in any way saying that if there, if there are something if there's something wrong in Scouting Ireland let's get to the bottom of it uh, let's sort it out because I think today more than ever we need groups like Scouting Ireland how often have we carried interviews on this programme have we heard them on TV or on other radio stations about obesity levels in children about children not being active about children spending too much time in front of their screens needing to encourage children to get out and about and that's exactly what scouting does it gets children out in the fresh air and the excitement of pitching a tent and staying overnight with your friends you know it's just it's wonderful it's, but it gets them out into the fresh air and teaches them really good life skills so we've got to do everything that we can to make sure that we will always have scouting in this country and my heart also went out to the volunteers and it was only through a bit of research I discovered there's I think about 12,500 people adults volunteer with Scouting Ireland because Scouting and Girl Guides and all of those organisations and indeed a lot of sporting organisations just simply wouldn't exist unless we had dedicated volunteers. So there's 12 and a half dedicated volunteers who are doing a wonderful job with Scouting Ireland. Now if there's a few bad apples in the middle of that 12,500 let's find them root them out get rid of them and let Scouting Ireland get on with what it does best and that is working with uh, children so we're going to be discussing it today I would love to hear from any parents listening that may have a child at the moment in Scouting Ireland or perhaps your children when they were young were involved with Scouts or you yourself was involved uh, with Scouts how are you feeling about what you're hearing and would you worry for the future of Scouting Ireland we know that one of the recommendations was that Scouting Ireland should really consider camps, overnight uh, camps. And there was people saying, oh my God, are all the overnight camps this weekend? There's a number of camps. The camps happen nearly every weekend of the year. But uh, and now that we're going into the spring summer there'll be a lot more of these camps to be held and it looks like there are a number of camps scouting camps to be held this week from what I can gather none of them have been uh, cancelled that's not to say that some parents haven't decided that they're not going to send their children and if they're not going to send their children are they going to withdraw their children completely from the local scout group so I would be interested to hear from anyone who's decided to go down that route or are you down the other route where you say no this is a wonderful organisation I trust the scout leaders I know the scout leaders because scout leaders are in communities people will know these people really well and will trust them I mean obviously you're handing over your most precious the most precious thing you can have in your life is your child so you are going to uh, to trust them uh, your thoughts please welcomed on that local objections in Kinsale we're going to hear about to an application for a mussel farm in the bay now I was unaware of this but it seems just Christmas week I think it was an application went in to the Department of the Marine for a mussel farm in Kinsale Bay some local people are objecting to it so we're going to try and get to the bottom of it try and find out why they're objecting to it I know John Paul I put a call through to the company to the particular company that have made the, made the application I don't know must check with John Paul I don't know if they've come back to us if they're going to be joining us or not on the programme or perhaps they will issue us with a, a statement but we'll find out more about that if you've got concerns about that muscle farm in Kinsale let us know uh, please could a subsidised taxi service help to solve 
transport problems uh, in rural areas. We know that we have a problem with people living in rural areas if they want to get out and about and they want to socialise let's be honest if they want to have a few drinks and socialise then they need to get a lift to and from wherever it is they want to socialise be it the local pub or the club or whatever it is there's a problem there's a problem in that sometimes the taxi can be too expensive there's a problem that at busy times at the weekend taxi companies are not interested in going out to rural areas it's not worth their while they're not going to make any money on any of those uh, runs and because of that we've got people very trapped very isolated in their own homes The in the Dáil this week the transport the Oireachtas Transport Committee have been discussing and just sort of debating and trying to tease out different solutions, possible solutions to rural transport. And one of the ones that's been mentioned and one of the suggestions is to have a subsidised taxi service. Now, we want to dig a little bit deeper and find out what does that mean uh, and how would that actually operate. So we'll chat about that on the programme today. Rent-a-Kill. I'm smiling every time I say that when I, when I talk about this. Rent-a-Kill are joining us because they have discovered that there's an increase in moth infestation and there has been over the last number of years. So they're going to give us advice on what we can do to make sure that we don't get a moth infestation. And I suppose if we do get a moth infestation, what do we do? How do we? I mean, I don't know if you always need to get in the experts to get rid of them. It would be a pretty bad infestation, wouldn't it? To to get rid of it, to have to call in Rent-a-Kill. But obviously people have ended up in that situation so we're going to get advice if you have a question while, while I have the experts on the programme if you have a question to do with pest infestations get them into us uh, please we'll talk to somebody from Rent-A-Kill a little bit later on somebody when I mentioned it earlier when I was teeing up the programme with Simon somebody sent in a text saying lads send me on one of those moths would you so that I can finally so that I, so that I can let them do their job so that I can finally dump the clothes that I haven't got the heart to part with, says a listener to uh, to Simon earlier on. It's they say if you want to clear out your wardrobe, if you haven't worn the item in the last twelve months, then it's highly unlikely that you're going to wear it again. And that's the rule of thumb for cleaning out the for cleaning out a wardrobe. One of the hardest things to do, isn't it? I mean, there's the old saying: discarding a an, a well worn old coat. You kind of look at an item. Ah, well, sure, I might wear it again. And I think, speaking on behalf of us ladies, there's one section of all of our wardrobes, well, all of a section like this, where you bought expensive items. You either bought them for a wedding, you might have bought it for your child's christening, communions and confirmations are coming up. A lot of us ladies spend a lot of money on the outfit for the communion or the confirmation. And you wore it and you looked absolutely stunning on that day. It's a really good, expensive item possibly put back, dry cleaned, left in the plastic, in the wardrobe, there to be worn again on another major event. You might have got a couple of wares out of some of them. Uh, I certainly remember one year having three weddings and there were three weddings from three very distinct, different groups of people. There was very, I wasn't going to meet the same people at any of the three weddings and I bought one outfit and managed to wear them to all three. I thought I was doing really well uh, that year. But for many of us, if you get one or two wares out of these expensive items and then they're left in the wardrobe, they're the items that I personally find the hardest to part with. I'm a great advocate of bringing my clothes to the charity shop and I regularly do a couple of times a year I'll do a clear out of all of the wardrobes and I'll get stuff off to the charity shop but that section of the wardrobe with the expensive clothes I 
I, I find really hard. I really find really, really hard to get rid of. Uh, the rest I'm okay with. And I'm assuming that I'm speaking on behalf of a lot of other ladies where you have those beautiful outfits that in your heart and soul you're never going to wear again. And what often happens is because the, you bought the outfit, the outfit, it could be there 10 years, it could be there. There's a couple of items in my wardrobe that are probably there even more than 10 years. They've probably gone so out of date that you're, would you even be able to give it to the charity shop now? Would anybody able to be able to get a wear out of it? But I don't know if I would be advocating putting a load of moths into the wardrobe, but it certainly would be, would be a way to get rid of them. I also mentioned earlier, thank you for your text, I also mentioned earlier, mothballs are mothballs gone out of business. Mothballs are certainly a smell that a lot of us would associate with our grandparents. Grandparents' bedrooms always smelt of mothballs because they never had moth infestations because they had these mothballs which absolutely stunk. And I'm wondering do they, do they and, and I'm assuming the smell was the deterrent to keep the moths away. Is that the theory behind it? Can you still buy mothballs? And do they still smell as badly? And uh, do, do, do they work as efficiently as they ever did? A listener says, Patricia, you can still buy mothballs. I think I got them in a chemist. So there you go. And do they still smell as badly as ever? And are they doing the job? I take it that they are. Thank you for your WhatsApp to 0862 103 103. We're also going to have another catch up with Karen Penny. Karen is the lady from Wales who is on the four year charity walk. Yes, you did hear that right. Four year charity walk. She's walking around the entire coast of Ireland and the entire coast of the United Kingdom. She's taking in some of the islands as well. And actually, I heard she's taking in one of our own islands. She's going to go to Bear Island tomorrow and do one of the park runs because she's hoping every Saturday, if she's near a park run, to do a park run as well. What an energetic lady she is. And she's doing it for Alzheimer's research. So we'll find out how her week went in West Cork. And it is Friday. So that means we'll go to the movies with uh, Mark Malone. That and whatever's on your mind today, feel free to share it with us. Somebody's asking who is the superstar of the day today. Today, by the way, final day of the C103 Cash Tracks uh, with Kavnis. Uh, by the end of today, we'll have given away €5,000 on Cash Tracks. So your final €500, uh, you're in with a chance of winning that uh, today. And our final superstar of the day today, we are finishing up with you two. So you're listening out for two tracks, some stage today, back to back by you too when we play it caller 50 to 1850 333 103 wins the 500 euro that's the C103 cash tracks with Cavanas, the new name for Ford in Mallow for new and used car sales visit com. some of your thoughts coming in on Scouting Ireland by WhatsApp hi Patricia I think that Catherine Sapone's suggestion to change the way the Scouting Ireland arrange their events is a bit drastic by all means if change needs to be made, for example, more supervision, so be it. As there has been sexual abuse in our swimming clubs previously, did we cancel all swimming clubs? No, we didn't. Also within the Catholic Church, did we take away all altar service? No, we didn't. It's a kind of cracking and not with a hammer. Uh, Kind regards, says Mary. Hope you have a lovely weekend and the same to you, Mary. Thank you for your WhatsApp. And by uh, text... This is on clearing out your wardrobe. A Douglas listener says, I have a light T-shirt top that I bought in London 58 years ago. Still perfect. I'll be worn again this summer, says a Douglas listener. You, but you see the theory, that, well done. The, the thing is, if you haven't worn it for 12 months, they say get rid of it, that you'll never wear it again. But 
you certainly are wearing it uh, and look you, you wouldn't buy something today would you that would still be around for 58 uh, years and you must be washing it very well uh, well done and uh, good to know that you'll get another summer out of it this year and John and Manway says Patricia did you ever find out what happened to the gentleman yesterday who contacted you who got the parking ticket? He was parked in a disabled bay. He had his disabled parking permit up and yet he still got a, a ticket in Mallow. Did you ever find out what happened to him, says John in Domamui? We did. That was Jack. He got back to us. We left him with him heading off to the council offices because he went around the town trying to find the parking warden and he couldn't. So he went to the council offices and they accepted that for whatever reason it was some kind of a mistake and the parking ticket was scrapped so he didn't have to pay. Bit of an inconvenience for our Jack but he didn't have to pay. 1850 333 103 lines open. Laura Gaelga Agus Ieg Umper Tupac. Kuga Kura Gumur Evaim Er Tupac, Agus Hustig Shay E Kumakul in Nadug Octosat. Hiol Shay Kuig Album Kul, Agus A in a Vahig. For Shay Boss Er in True Law Deog De Vanfor, Nadug Nok Shay, Agus E Kuig Vlinas Veha. Le Brewer Gwilga, this Misha Abi Nivinicon, O Gwilskol Hamostavishmala. Seekade Asa Three Kirkig. Now, the State Child and Family Agency, TUSLA, is to conduct a full review into how Scouting Ireland supervises children and handles disclosures of abuse after an initial inquiry raised serious concerns about current practices. TUSLA has written to Scouting Ireland, making a series of urgent recommendations. Labour spokesperson on Children and Youth Affairs, Sean Sherlock, joins me in studio. Good morning to you, Sean. Good morning, Patricia. And in a way, you were the reason that Catherine, Minister Catherine Sapone read this letter to the doll. Just explain the background to how this all broke this week. Well, I and Deputy Anne Rabbit from Galway had some concerns about the fact that Scouting Ireland Management was running a helpline in respect of what we call historical cases. We always felt that best policies and procedures are that, you know, if you have been traumatised historically now by an organisation, it's not reasonable to expect somebody who has been traumatised by an organisation or people within the organisation to then come back to that same organisation to accept that organisation to help them because you feel that they need to go to somebody who is independent yeah. and, and and outside of that organisation, if you will. So all we were doing was we were raising the issue of the fact that we had some concerns about that because we had been hearing reports in the Irish Times that, you know, the cases were reaching 200 and 300 and we were very very concerned about the fact then that maybe there needs to be an outside mechanism to ensure that, you know, if somebody, you know, was ringing a helpline, that it would be manned by people who are independent of the very organisation against whom they might be making a complaint. Now, notwithstanding all of that, you have to recognise the fact that Scouting Ireland has brought in somebody like Ian Elliott. Now, his reputation is is absolutely, you know, beyond question. And there's no doubt about it, but he was working with Scouting Ireland and senior management to try and move things along to deal with the historic cases uh, and and to to, to guide 
get some closure. And he or was supervising the helpline. Uh, he was supervising. Yeah. So in actual fact, there were three helplines open. Yeah, I was just going to. I was yeah. going to make that point. It wasn't the only. If people felt uncomfortable going to Scouting Ireland, Tusla had one. Tusla had one, and, yeah. and you could go to the Gardaí yeah. then as well. You okay. see, so. Uh, but the bulk of, of the majority of people decided to go to the Scouting one. Interestingly enough, they it was did. Three hundred. Uh, uh, they did, but given that there were the numbers reached the critical mass that they did, uh, what we didn't have sight of was. Where in Tusla, where Tusla was interacting with Scouting Ireland on these historical cases, so we we wanted more information because we felt that we were out of the loop in respect of we were reading about it in the Irish Times. The Dáil didn't have we as Oireachtas members who represent the people didn't have any insight from the minister as to what the dynamic was as between you know uh, Scouting Ireland and Tusla and the minister herself in respect of these historical. And then cases. her answer was to read out this well, letter. Well, her answer then was to drop a, a, an absolute bombshell in respect of the letter that Tusla issued to Scouting Ireland in respect of a sample number of cases that Tusla had been dealt with that they raised concerns about and also in respect of the management of cases by what I would call the upper echelons, the senior management of Scouting Ireland in response to specific cases. Because I think it's important that we make the distinction between how senior management dealt with a a sample number of cases and what people are actually doing on On the the ground. ground, And the bombshell was that in the letter from Tusla to Scouting Ireland, and I quote from the letter, Scouting Ireland should consider the viability of continuing with overnight trips. Now, when I was in the Dáil on Wednesday, when I heard that, I thought, oh, my goodness, is there something really wrong here or systematically wrong that we don't know about that hasn't been communicated? And is the minister now telling us that there are, you know, uh, massive issues out there uh, in, you know, within the Scouting Ireland family? And so that is why, you know, we we now want further answers. But Mm. When you start to assess the situation, you recognise then, based on your own interaction with decent and honourable scouting members... Like 12,500 adult volunteers. That's a huge it's, number. It's a massive amount of volunteers. But the point, the key thing I want to say today is that I deal with scout leaders you know, weekly, I know them. They are beyond reproach. I want to be very clear about that because I do know the mechanisms that they go through in relation to child protection procedures. I know the training that they go through. And I, I and I'm speaking as a parent here and I don't have a child of, who is of age to go to Cubs. But if I had a child of age to go to Cubs or Scouts, I would have no hesitation about sending you know my child to any overnight camp because I'm very confident that the procedures that are put in place now are very robust. But what, notwithstanding all of that though, what we do need to do is to reach a point where there is some sort of a bridging of the gap between Scouting Ireland's interpretation of events and Tusla's interpretation of events. Because Tusla in this letter, has made reference to three very specific cases and the details I won't go into no, here no, no. for I, I, appropriateness. I'm, I'm, as, as well as the, ti- as the in, time of the in, day as in, well. Indeed, and these are, are these, these are not historic cases. Well, that's the question. Are they historic cases? And we don't know the answer to that. But the one thing we can say is that the management of the cases, if you take aside the, the subject matter of the cases, the question that Tusla has is how 
they the were managed. senior people managed, managed the interaction yeah. with the okay. people who were the subject of these cases. And that's the big question. Now, I know, so there's I a mean, gap there. Ian Elliott has come out fighting uh, with this one. And, and Ian Elliott is Scouting Ireland's safeguarding a manager, an independent consultant. As you've said, he's beyond, you know, he's, he's a safeguarding expert and, and of the highest calibre and everybody respects him. He says that the organisation is as safe as it can be and getting safer. We're working on it all the time. I believe that to be true. I do. Uh, but I think there are still issues in respect of uh, whether or not there are permanent staff. And I, again, I'm referring to the letter from Tusla, okay. where Tusla has issued certain uh, guidelines or certain. They've said things in the letter which suggest to us uh, who are examining these issues that there are still issues outstanding and that's why there needs to be there is now a conflict between Scouting Ireland and Tusla and Tusla is the statutory body and notwithstanding any criticisms that we would have had historically in relation to Tusla and how they've managed child protection issues, they are still the statutory body. So what I want to see happening now is some sort of reconciliation between the two positions Mm. and the Oireachtas Committee will meet with Tusla and it will meet with Scouting Ireland uh, around the 13th of March so that we can interrogate these issues. Because at the end of the day, this is about ensuring that every single parent, every single scout troop for whom there's a shadow cast over, will have that shadow lifted now or that cloud lifted. And again, I go back to the point that things are getting better because we've had some very positive engagement with Scouting Ireland. I've had some issues with Scouting Ireland at upper management level. Yeah, not on the the ground. Not on the ground. And I want to make that distinction. But it's the people on the ground, uh, Sean. Who are the most important. Yeah, and and they're the ones who feel they're almost being targeted by this. That's it. And that's why I think we need to uh, have the minister come back with Tusla and with uh, Scouting Ireland because I believe that there is merit in what Ian Elliott is saying in respect of the statement in the letter where... Tusla say that Scouting Ireland should consider the viability of continuing with overnight trips. And I can only make my own assessment. My own assessment is, and, and you know, this is just a personal opinion, okay. is I believe, based on my personal experience of dealing with scouting people on the ground, the volunteers are more than acutely aware of every single you know, incident that occurs or in terms of managing children. They're aware of their responsibilities because most of them themselves are parents and they, you know, they are aware of child protection procedures. They're aware of the Children First guidelines. They know that every parent is putting their child in their hands and they are very responsible about that. So we need to bridge that gap and there's more work to be done. But I do believe strongly, though, that and it goes back to, I suppose, me talking as a parent, you know, I would have no hesitation today if there was something happening this weekend in in letting your child go. A a parent who is a volunteer with Scouting Ireland, one of the local groups here in Cork has contacted us. I have a child, 13 years of age, involved in scouting. I became a leader myself. We set up the group. I did all of the training. We've done a lot of training Um, since I, as a parent, would not fear my child going off on an overnight trip with the scout group this weekend or any weekend. We all volunteer. We organise the camps, etc. All of the leaders do the same things and they do it for their own children and for the other children uh, children involved. There's a large number of scout groups but all of the leaders are professionally trained 
guard the vetted and training is provided and training is ongoing and that's uh, that's what, what you st- and that's what Absolutely. you would say when when you've met could i also say patricia that if i was a scout leader now in charge of a troop i would be branching together with other scout leaders across the country and I would be asking for an extraordinary general meeting so that ordinary members can come together and meet with management in an open forum and have these addressed issues addressed. Because I found with scouting people, um, I, I don't know what the management structure is within Scouting Ireland. It seems to me to be very democratic when you're at the local branch level, mm. but it seems to be quite hierarchical well, uh, as, when, it goes when, up. as it goes up the line. Okay. And I, I don't understand the culture within Scouting Ireland, but if I was an ordinary member, if I was a parent or a scout leader, I would be calling for within the rules of the organisation for an EGM now, because I think the, the narrative of this needs to be controlled now by the very person that you're, you've just referenced there. The parents, as a parent, yeah, a parent really and, and, a, and a leader. And, and the other thing is that the, the minister's statement arguably was unhelpful because it could have put Scouting Ireland out of business. I mean, yeah. because if the insurers were looking at that and taking a perspective on that very statement, they might have said, there's oh, too much of a risk yeah. here. We're, We're not, not going, going to, to touch them. Yeah. That's why I think it's vitally important that scout leaders and need that to come ev- together. And now. that everything gets cleared up. Just Indeed. a final point, Sandy says, one thing that I would agree with uh, is what Sean said earlier, that the phone, the helpline uh, should be independent of Scouting Ireland, maybe link it with an existing phone line, something like Childline. The other issue of supervisors, vetting and training should be addressed immediately. Okay, And, and they're all guarded vetted as well. Remember yeah. that too. OK, yeah. we'll leave it there. Thank you for that, um, Sean. That's Labour spokesperson on Children and Youth of there's uh, Sean Sherlock, 1850 333 103. To celebrate our latest radio ratings, C103 is dishing out free money. Free money. With C103 Cash Tracks. Sinead, from Mallow, you have just won 500 euro. Oh my God, I'm so happy. Thank you so much. Would you believe me if I told you that you're caller number 50? Oh my God, that's fantastic. <laughs> Any plans uh, for the money? Oh, I think I'll take a weekend away. C103 Cash Tracks. With Kavanaugh's, the new name for Ford in Mallow. For new and used car sales, visit Kavanaugh's.com. On the home of Cork's greatest hits. C103. This is the Cork Today replay on C103. Now, just before Christmas, Woodstown Bay shellfish lodged an application with the Department of the Marine for a mussel farm in the inner harbour of Kinsale. The news has drawn criticism from residents of the town and joining me with some of the concerns, Kinsale resident Donal Hayes. Good morning to you, Donal. Patricia, thanks for having me on. Well, you're very welcome. And we did issue an invitation to Woodstown Bay Shellfish to join us. And they had the person they had available to talk to us is travelling today. So obviously wasn't then available. We also asked them for a statement and we're still awaiting a statement uh, from them. So, Donald, why are so many people opposed to this project in Kinsale? Well, I think the key to that is there's so many people, Patricia, because um, the, the impact of this will affect so many different groups within the harbour. Um, the harbour is currently, I don't, everybody knows Kinsale Harbour, it's kind of, it's, it's, it's uh, rugby ball shaped. Yeah. Kind of, it's closed at the mouth of the harbour, opens wide and then closed again around James Fort across to Silly Walk. <coughs> and Woodstone Bay are, shellfish are, are applying to use half of that, the western half of that, as a shellfish farm. Now, potential 
dangers of that are phenomenal. I mean, you know, they're apart from the environmental dangers. What it does is that it takes half the harbour that's currently being used by a, a, a wide variety of different groups and taking it for the profit of one group and excluding everybody else. So currently, it's being used by fishermen, it's being used by anglers, it's being used by rowers, it's being used by sailors, it's being used by people in the outdoor education centres, it's being used by the dock beach for people going swimming, people going walking, people going sightseeing. It's 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 a harbour of Kinsale, the core of Kinsale itself. And, and, and you're saying this application, if it went through, that would that whole area then would become a mussel farm to the exclusion of everybody else? I'm not sure to the exclusion of everybody else at all times. Certainly to the exclusion of everybody else, yes. Uh, for, for a huge number part of the time. Uh, the the harbour is used all the time, not just in the summer. So the harbour is used by, by fishermen, by sailors all year round. Um, so it can't be, you can't exclude part of the harbour at any, at any time. But it would be, it would be functionally excluded, yes. And I, I, I don't know about much about mussel farming. Is it an all year round? There's different types of mussel farming, Patricia, and I understand this. The, 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 the mussel farm that you traditionally know would be the trellises or the ropes, so you'd have long ropes and you'd have mussels hanging from this. I understand this to be different, that they essentially take a stocking and they fill it with two kilograms of mussel babies and they put it down on the ground and two years later they're mussel adults. So they take out, they put in two kilograms of mussels and they take out 20, 30 kilograms or something like that. Oh, so, okay. So what they do then is they dredge the bottom of the water and, and with kind of big claws and they bring out all these these uh, bags of mussels. With the adult uh, mussels in them? With the adult mussels in them. That's, all I, right. I, okay. I, I, like, I need nothing about this until about three weeks ago. <laughs> and I'm now, yeah, you're you're, you're educating on yourself. Farming. Okay, yeah, the, yeah, yeah. the company, Woodstown Bay yeah. Shellfish, have yeah. they met with local people? Have they spoken with you to allay your fears? Has there been Absolutely any public not. consultation? No, 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 there hasn't. Uh, no, whatsoever. They, I mean, there, there has it, it's a very, it's a very short process. Like if you're looking for, um, uh, what you call it, um, planning permission for a house, it's you know there's three months to this, and there's, a, there's, a, there's a much longer process. But this is not. There's, a, there's an ad went on on the sixth of I think of January, and you have one month to get it together. Um, and there's no, there's no signs went up. There's no, you know, there's. That's Nothing the first local people heard about it. Yeah, yeah. No and I know there. reading in the application, uh, Woodstown Bay Shellfish, they have more than 20 years experience in oyster cultivation. So we assume they're, they're a business that know what they're doing. Although they're absolutely are, and, and mussels too, to give them their due. I mean, I did, don't get me wrong for a moment, I'm, I'm all for mussel farming. I'm all for oyster farming. But there's oyster farming in Kinsale already. There's oyster farming in Oyster Haven. And it melds in very well with, with, with the local activities. But I'm talking about this particular area. This particular area is absolutely wrong. It's like saying, let's rip up Fitzgerald's Park and let's take half that and grow carrots for one farmer because he wants that part of town. You can say, well, maybe, maybe what about all the other areas you could grow carrots in? There's dozens of other areas that aren't being used as a key resource by so many different people. Um, it's just, to me, it's just beyond madness. And so local people now have to make submissions to the Department of the Marine if, if they want to voice their concerns. Yes. And that's one of the reasons we're talking to you today. Time is running out on that. Time's running out on that. There, there are varying reports as to when it, when it has to be in. But my understanding is that by next Wednesday, the 6th of March, you have to have submission in. And 
numbers really do count. Um, we have had, well, we've approached and had support from uh, Kevin Murphy, Alan Coleman, um, Margaret Murphy O'Mahony, um to, to support us on this. You're, you're all the elected representatives <laughs> in the all area. The, yeah. the key person to this is Michael Creed. Um, and, like, well, we're being reassured by our politicians that they are going to try and get to him. We haven't got to him yet, you know, and despite many letters, he hasn't come back. And the same with, with um, Simon Coveney, somebody who we would think would have a great love for Kinsale Harbour and a great affinity and a great history of, of being on the down. And unfortunately, they haven't, they haven't stepped up at all for whatever reason, you know. Well, for whatever reason, Simon Coveney is pretty busy at the moment. Um, but the point, the point being that it's, it's, we're, we're, we're doing our best to, to, to get everybody involved. And the more, the merrier all the time, you know, the, the, the numbers really do count. Yeah, and it would be nice as well if the if the company involved held some kind of a public consultation and met with, you know, met with people. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Maybe maybe hold our hands a bit and reassure us that this would never happen. This would never happen. But like all you have to do is Google muscle farming and Google negative impact of muscle farming, and it's horrific. <laughs> it's like we're we're looking we're looking at the jewel and the crown of Irish um, tourism here. We're looking at tourism that's been built over over generations. And tourism is such a fickle business that, you know, the slightest thing. In Kinsale a couple of years ago, we had, we had a bad um, sewage problem. And I remember as well. Yeah. People in Supervalue at the time would walk out of the shop. People in, in hotels were checking out because the stench was so bad. Now, we, we, we risk that level of contamination again. If you, if you read those in an article by... Um, a guy called Jim Cusack and in the Examiner in 2016, or not the Examiner, in the Irish Independent, and he speaks of muscle dredgers leaving Dublin Bay smelling like corpses. Now that's, that's a horrific thought. Um, and, per, and then if you bring that into a small tourist town in Ireland, start of the World Atlantic Way, and you're saying that like you're doing this for the financial benefit of one man? So is it, so, yeah. And I, I don't want to hammer in about the dangers of, of the, the environmental dangers I could. I don't want to do that. What I want to talk about really is is a shared resource and it's a beautifully shared resource and it's a resource that everybody has ownership of you know like I have ownership of right to a lot of uh, recreational stuff out there sailors do the rowers do from the dock beach and get people swimming out there the whole time the outdoor education centre have got little pontoons out there where they teach their kids yacht clubs teach their kids out there it's just it's a fantastic resource and it's a free resource and it's a resource that's like jealously enjoyed by so many people in the town it's just fantastic. It's a very interesting thing, Patricia. If you come across any development, more or less any development, you're going to get the pros and the antis. Yeah, all right. Because so, somebody is somebody saying, and I'm assuming this is somebody in in the know. Somebody yeah. says, why not Google positive impacts of muscle farming? There is no contamination. There is no contamination. There is no contamination. And yeah. also says, can you clear up? Is it rope culture or bottom culture? Big difference in methods. I agree. I, I understand it's, it's, it's bottom culture. It's, well, I know on their application they have done bottom, this yeah. bottom culture. God, you say, yeah. I, I haven't a clue what muscle farming is about, so I'm, 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 I'm at a yeah. loss on this one. OK, all right. Um, so you're saying to people who are, who are against this muscle farm, they need to have their submission in by the 5th? And I would, I would uh, yeah, by the 6th. 6th, OK. I would also love to say, I mean, if there is anybody genuinely in favour of it, I'd love to talk to them. Okay. Because I haven't come across them. Okay. Um, the only possible thing that they, they talk about is 
um, maybe four jobs, six jobs creators under that. But the, the reciprocal of that is the, the, the danger and the number of jobs that could be lost through any mishap. Or That's your big fear. And yeah, absolutely. I mean, tourism is such a fickle mistress, Patricia. Uh, things can change very quickly. Okay, it's an issue. We'll come back to uh, Donal in the meantime. Thank you for that and thanks for joining uh, us on you. the programme. Good okay, morning to you. That is Kinsale Redis- Re- resident uh, Donal Hayes. You're listening to Cork Today on Replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. When we were talking about uh, Scouting Ireland in the last hour, and Catherine Sapone and her announcement, which seemed to have come as quite a shock uh, to everybody, um, texting saying the Minister Sapone and Tusla suggestion rescouting Ireland is typical Americanisation of legal issues. In that, if there's a problem, close down the organisation. In my opinion, it would be on par with suggesting that the Garda authorities should be suspended as a number of individual Garda had been prosecuted and more will be for various offences. This attitude has applied to religious orders, most of whom set up hospitals, schools and uh, kitchens to help the poor. But we need to wake up. 1850 Now, a 29-year-old man who was found guilty of the manslaughter of a man who died after a one attack in a pub in North Cork was yesterday given a three-month suspended sentence. Jonathan O'Sullivan, originally from Canturk, but now living in Dublin, was convicted by a jury in Cork Circuit Criminal Court earlier this month. With the sentencing took place yesterday, our senior news reporter Fiona Corcoran uh, was in court and she joins me. Good morning to you, Fiona. Good morning. Uh, and you're welcome. Um, I, I suppose take us back, remind us of this case. The incident happened at the Stand Bar in Canturk in three years ago now, February of 2016. October 2016. Oh, October, yeah. okay. And it, yeah, and it was in the, um, the stand bar, as you said, in Canturk. Now, these two men, Jonathan O'Sullivan and Sinbar Lee Han, a musician, 65 year old musician, were both in the pub drinking. Now, we heard during the trial earlier this month at Cork Circle Criminal Court that um, some hostility had broken out between the two men and. Um, Jonathan O'Sullivan had said that Finn Barley-Han was talking raw mate at him and wouldn't be quiet and he got angry and we heard that a number of the bar staff had asked Jonathan O'Sullivan to leave him alone and to walk away and um, at some time later they had gone out the back and Jonathan O'Sullivan um, in the middle of the row threw a punch and hit Finn Barley-Han and he fell backwards and hit his head off the ground and he was taken to Cork University Hospital where he was in a coma for two weeks and then he passed away on the 11th of November 2016. And um, Jonathan O'Sullivan was charged with manslaughter and brought before Cork Circuit Criminal Court. Now he said at the start of the trial that he didn't, he wasn't going to plead guilty to manslaughter, he was pleading not guilty to manslaughter but he was going to offer a plea of guilty to a charge of assault but the state said that they wanted to press ahead with the manslaughter charge and um, after a trial at Cork Circuit Criminal Court there was a lot of evidence heard the CCTV footage shown of the assault um, or of the punch and um, three at the end of that trial convicted him of manslaughter and he was brought back before Cork Circuit Criminal Court yesterday to be sentenced by Judge Sean O'Donovan and Judge Sean O'Donovan Taking everything into consideration, said that the appropriate sentence in this matter was a three-year jail term, but he suspended it in its entirety. Now, he said that um, he, he wanted to point out the fact that manslaughter is such a, a large ra- crime. Like it ranges from 
sentenced over the assault to just under murder. So he said that you can't treat every manslaughter case in the same way, that you have to take all of the circumstances into consideration. And he said that when he looks at a manslaughter charge like this, he has to consider the seriousness and the severity of the assault and if it was um, what level of viciousness was there. And he said in this particular case that he didn't consider the assault to be very severe and he didn't consider it to be very vicious. But he said that what it was was the suddenness of the attack and that the suddenness of the punch took Finn Barley-Han completely unaware and he stumbled back and, and upturned and, and hit his head. And he said that in this case as well, that the manslaughter conviction in itself was a serious punishment for Jonathan O'Sullivan, who's 29 now. He's an engineer. He's working up in Dublin. And he said he has to carry this conviction around with him for the rest of his life. Um, now, we did hear a very emotional victim impact statement from Finn Barley-Han's daughter, Catherine Lehan, And she read out... Um, statement on behalf of the whole family and she said that, you know, that their lives changed forever the day that they received the phone call to say that Finn Barley Han, their dad, was in the hospital. And she said that day by day they watched him suffer in suffering and in pain in hospital and they hoped and prayed every day that he would make a full recovery and um, unfortunately that didn't happen for them and they said they were completely numb when he passed away on the 7th of November uh, surrounded by family and she said that she went on to describe how all individual members of the family had been affected by his death and how it left the massive voice of the family and they're all grieving and she spoke about how the last couple of weeks have been so terrible for them because you know they had to listen to all the details of the trial and then they had to wait for him to Almost Um, relive it all over again. And I thought it was interesting that the judge uh, disagreed, though, with one point, which Mm. was the view that the the defendant had shown no remorse. Uh, The judge believed that uh, Jonathan O'Sullivan did show genuine remorse. Yeah, she had said um, she had said in the victim impact statement about the lack of remorse shown during the trial. And um, Judge Sean O'Donovan said that, you know, he couldn't... um, he said he could understand the family's pain and suffering, but he said that one thing that he had to disagree with was the fact that they said that there was no remorse shown. And he said that Jonathan O'Sullivan's remorse that he believed was genuine. And we did see when he read out the statement yesterday, Jonathan O'Sullivan broke down in the dock. Um, and he was he was really, really upset by the whole thing. Um, and the family as well were really upset yesterday. Like, there was a lot of tears shed yesterday in that courtroom. Um and I suppose for this, and um, Catherine or Catherine Lehan did say it in her statement that in a case like this, there are no winners, yeah. um, and that a sentence, regardless of what it was, is never going to bring their dad back. But I suppose for them, they probably were hoping that he would serve some time in jail, um, and they were very upset that that he didn't. Um, but, uh, but he, he you know, as, as you know, as, as you said earlier, he lived with this for the rest of, of his life. And I think the one thing of this case, Fiona, it shows the devastating consequences of these single punch attacks. That's it. And we've, we hear um, of a number of these attacks, uh, these single punch attacks. And, you know, a couple of us were talking about it afterwards. And I suppose when you're in a situation in a pub, especially if there's drink taken, People do tend to lash out if somebody's annoying them. Not everybody, I'm not saying that everybody does, but you, know, you do hear of cases where people lash out and there's this one punch and it's, um, you know, that the person then that they hit falls back and hits their head. And in this case, um, you know, the medical evidence did show that there was no um, injuries to the front of his face, but all the injuries 
that he sustained with the back of his head, which would have been consistent with the fall. Um, and I suppose it's a lesson for people to just, you know, be careful. You are. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Absolutely. Because, you know, Jonathan O'Sullivan, even though he didn't go to prison, he does have a, a manslaughter conviction, which is one of the most serious convictions that you can have on record, you know. So, um, and, and I think like the judge had to consider as well that he doesn't have any previous convictions and he has been to his guard attention and uh, his employer said that, you know, he was um, a very good worker and he would have no problem with hiring him at any stage. And, you know, we heard that he plays rugby and that he had like, trained under 18 roles and that he contributed to society in that way. And, you know, I suppose um, that he just, he did, he was showing genuine remorse and he was concerned for Finn Marleyhan after the attack and, you know, when things calmed down for himself the next day and that, you know, he knew that he was in hospital, but he did show genuine concern for his well-being at that stage as well. So okay. It was, just, well, it was a sad case with no, no winners, yeah. you know, Sad both sides. Yeah, yeah, no winners is right. Okay, we leave it there, Fiona. Thank you for that. And uh, thanks for joining us on the programme. That is uh, Fiona Corcoran, our senior news uh, reporter. 1850-333-103. Just some comments coming in on uh, different topics. We were talking about scouting in the last hour with uh, Deputy Sean Sherlock. Mary says, in relation to scouting, Scouting Ireland. Uh, two of Mary's boys, who she would describe as very fussy eaters, went off with the scouts on their annual camp and they either had to eat or starve. She said it was the best thing that ever happened to her two uh, boys. Uh, Mary went on to become a leader herself and the friends they've made are still their friends today. The skill, skills that the young people also pick up are fantastic and their skills that they carry with them uh, through the rest of their lives as well. Those uh, camps are fantastic and I was annoyed with what I uh, heard. And actually there's so many people who I've heard where this has been uh, discussed over the last few days since Catherine Sapone made, made her statement in the Dáil. There's so many former leaders of Scouting Ireland who've come forward to say because they everyone feels they're all being tired now with the with the one brush, but there's so many former leaders have come forward saying that there was probably some of the best years of their lives was spent when they were involved with scouting and going away on camp with the children and that issue and that point that Mary makes of making friends for life you know and for children who go away on camps with other children they end up having friends and friendship for life which is which is fantastic um, it, thank you Mary 1850 Nora Mallow was on just to say she got a call from Annie today telling her that her computer something up with her computer and her broadband was about to be uh, cut off so this is a friend of Emily's who has changed her name to Annie and we had a different name yesterday as well somebody else rang and said Emily's gone on holidays and her sister was there there was another name being used it's always a female so there's Annie now is another name that has been uh, used so keep a keep a, a careful careful lookout for any of those names that are coming up or anyone purporting to be from air it's one great big scam and a Mallow listener has been on to say she has a 17 year old boy who's finding it extremely hard to get part time work in the Mallow area and she wonders is it just her young fella are other listeners finding it hard for their sons or daughters to pick up part time work for teenagers and I was I would take it at 17 that he's fifth year student is he maybe he's already is he in leaving search so you know school going so they're looking for part time work work on the weekends work during the holidays, 
Could you would you be able to do some evening work as a seventeen year old? Seventeen year old, you able to do bar work at seventeen, or do you have to be eighteen to do that? Anyway, let's put it out there to see. Is anybody suggestions for a seventeen year old finding it really really hard to pick up part time work? Is that a common thread amongst all seventeen year olds? Because um, it's it's a long time now since I've had a complaint like that, and usually there's always part time work available because children come of age, then they either go on to college or they move on or they go on and get full-time work and then the next generation of 16, 17 year olds come along and they pick up the work uh, when the others have, have moved on but according to this listener, her 17 year old son in the Mallow area, uh, finding it very difficult to locate any part-time work. John Paul taking your calls, you can text her WhatsApp as well 0862 103 103 C103 Jobs funny that we're mentioning jobs. These are full-time jobs, though in the main, plasters are wanted for immediate start. That's in the Hollow area. While a childminder is wanted to look after two babies, Mondays and Tuesdays. It's in the baby's home and it's in the Fremont area. Window fitters with a C2 registration is required. A Munster Cattle Breeders Group based in Mallow are looking for flexible milk recording contractors to work throughout the Munster area. You'll find all the details and more job opportunities by going online now. Just go to c103.ie forward slash jobs for more. This is C103. C103, the River Lee and the Evening Echo bring you the Cork City Sports Athletics Award. Every month, a panel of sporting experts will give recognition to an outstanding Cork athlete. This month's award goes to Alex Wright of Leevale AC. Following a number of achievements, Alex broke the Irish 3,000 metre walk record at the AAI Indoor Games. The Cork City Sports Athletics Award with the River Lee and the Evening Echo and C103. Tom and Carrick Tool has been onto the programme to say that uh, let Patricia know that Emily's not gone on holidays. This is Emily from the scam artist from Air. She's still around. I had her this morning here in Carrick Tool. Okay, and we also know Annie, her sister, and she had another sister yesterday who was doing that. I think it was Susan. Was it Susan yesterday? Was the name that's been used? But Emily hasn't been. She's still there. Thank you for that, Tom. To eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three. Now this week, the Arachthus Transport Committee have been debating over how best to provide rural transport, especially in light of the stricter drink driving laws. One of the suggestions is for a subsidised rural taxi service. And that suggestion was put forward by the Taxi Dispatch Operators Representative Association, who are known as TIDORA. And Miles O'Reilly of that group joins me. Good morning to you, Miles. Good morning. And, and you're welcome. To explain how your suggestion would work. I believe it would involve eight-seater vehicles. Uh, that's right. But um, uh, seven or eight passengers in, in the vehicle. Um, the service, first of all, would only operate from the area surrounding a village into the village and back out uh, 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 during the day or, or at night. Um, so we would see it operating within a radius of about 15 kilometres of a village. Um, the second point is that uh, unlike the existing regulations uh, and examinations to become a, a taxi driver or, or a hackney driver, applicants to become village transport drivers would be only examined on the regulations relating to that service, which make it easier to become a driver. But however, the drivers would have to have proper licenses and so on. Now, the as we see it, in order to make this service viable uh, for the uh, persons wishing to get in and out of their village, it would be subsidised. Uh, 
Because the, there wouldn't be, there'd be very little money to be made. Isn't uh, that the right. problem? Yes, yeah. it, it, that's the point. It wouldn't, it wouldn't be economic to provide the service uh, otherwise. Now, uh, a, lo- a lot, or almost all um, passenger transport in Ireland is subsidised, like train services, um, the mainline bus service, and so on. Uh, and we see no reason why uh, rural um, uh, persons wishing to get in and out of the village shouldn't. That service shouldn't also be subsidised. Now, we would see a continuation of the local link services, and that, uh, but the local link would serve the people from the village going in, going to other villages, or maybe connecting into mainland transport and so on. Whereas this would be a link between the people outside the village to get in and get out. Okay. And would you be? Would you have the vehicle be clearly marked a little bit like taxis are? Uh, yes, we we would see assigned the name of the village and transport. You know, okay. uh, on, right up on the top of the vehicle, so everybody was clear. This it wouldn't be uh, in technical terms a hackney, nor would it be a taxi. Uh, a taxi, yes. So, and and you would see somebody local, perhaps, to the village operating it, exactly, would you? Yeah. Yes, in fact, you could have two or three people who would go in together uh, to purchase one of these vehicles or to um, get them on, on a PCP-type arrangement, and uh, they would provide the service. Now, the, the vehicle itself would have to be passed by the National Transport Agency, the NCT, and all of that, so it would be fully compliant with all the rules in the same way as taxis or hackneys. And the driver, the drivers, if there are two or three even, they would have to be vetted by the guardie, you know, just to yeah, make yeah. sure that everything is done correctly. Insurance costs would be very high, though, wouldn't it? Would be the very, because well, it would be the same it, as... Undoubtedly, uh, insurance costs uh, on taxis and so on are, are extraordinarily high. And our organisation has spent quite a lot of time and effort uh, trying to get costs down. Now, we, we actually have succeeded uh, by bringing in uh, an insurance intermediary from outside the country who is now offering our uh, uh, drivers who are affiliated to our members much lower insurance costs than was previously available. So uh, we believe the insurance would not need to be a barrier here. Okay, and then the politicians argue that this, you know, this whole debate that's going on this week, some of the opposition politicians are arguing that they're putting the cart before the horse and that schemes like you've been suggesting should have been put in place a couple of years ago, certainly before the stricter drink driving rules. Well, that that point can be made, but uh, (laughs) that's not for us to comment on. Uh, We're putting this forward now and um, that's... Perhaps that point could be made to National Transport Authority or, or somebody else. But uh, we believe that what we're proposing uh, would work and um, that it would greatly benefit people uh, living in rural Ireland. Have you had reaction to your proposal? From yes, we, we've y- had uh, some favourable reaction and obviously a lot of questions too about it. And uh, I suppose there, there, there are other suggestions out there, but uh, we're satisfied that uh, what we're suggesting um, uh, w- would be viable. Is, is, is viable. And Miles, what's your view on Uber-style taxis in rural yes, areas? Well, uh, first of all, uh, Uber are operating in Ireland at the moment. They uh, provide taxi services and they provide limousine services. Uh, so the question of what is meant by Uber-style... Um, 
That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com. Now, if it means uh, complying with the regulations of the National Transport Authority, we have no problem with that. We can't have any problem with that. Um, but the, if it means, um, you know, having uh, drivers who are, who are not guarded vetted or vehicles that aren't subject to the uh, NCT rules and so on, well, then we would obviously have to oppose that. Um, so one of the points, though, uh, that's important about the Uber style is it works very well in uh, many cities in, uh, outside the country. Um, but for rural Ireland, uh, you'd, you would need a smartphone to uh, be uh, oper- to be accessing. Yeah, because it's style. it's all done over the phone. Actually, that's a good point. Yeah, that and it a lot of uh, uh, black areas. spots. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, 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 that's uh, that's a point I don't think because I know right. um, the the minister for older people, Jim Daly, uh, who has joined us on many occasions on on the on this program. He's one of our local uh, yeah, TDs. Sure. He um, he's been suggesting this the Uber for uh, for rural areas, but that's a good point. It would they wouldn't necessarily uh, always work that's because right. they, yeah. you have to have the phone. Uh, so. Somebody says, hi, Patricia. Um, if one was to um, apply to provide the service that your guest is speaking about, my guest, by the way, is Miles O'Reilly, yeah. um, for rural transport, would they have to change from private insurance? Yeah, they would. You'd have to oh, get... They, would, they yeah. would have to take, yes. Uh, um, it, uh, definitely, yes. Yeah, it wouldn't. And again, it's the, it's the insurance, I think, is what would turn off a lot of people. But then if it was subsidised, uh, could right. a subsidy be done towards the insurance cost? There's a well, lot of things we, to be well, teased we, out. We would prefer is that the, the driver would get insurance for the, or sorry, would get paid the subsidy for the passengers he carries. So okay. uh, we would see a kind of voucher type system that the driver then could cash in, so to speak, uh, either as a local social welfare office or uh, from the local authority. 
Okay. All right. It's a good. It's a. It's a. It's a suggestion. It's a good suggestion. Let's see what becomes of it, Miles. In the meantime, thank you for that, and thanks for joining us on the program. Okay. Thank good you. morning to you, okay. Miles O'Reilly. There, and Miles is with the group Tidora. They're the Taxi Dispatch Operators Representative Association, and I have to say, they were a group I hadn't uh, heard of before. Just getting a text in to say there are major delays in Bandon. A three-car collision. Guardian ambulance are at the scene. Uh, a listener says it is approaching Bandon heading west. Okay, so I would avoid that area at the moment, but the Gardaí and the ambulance are at the scene and please God, there is uh, nobody uh, injured in that accident, but it's a three-car uh, collision approaching Bandon heading west. Now, Rent-A-Kill, Ireland's leading pest control provider, is warning the public of a significant increase in the presence of moths in Irish homes and businesses over the past three years. Join me with words of advice, Richard Faulkner, who is the technical field consultant for Rent-A-Kill. Good morning to you, Richard. Hi, good morning. Uh, and, and you're welcome. Do you know why we are seeing an increase in moth infestations? Um, and, and a lot of the time, any sort of increase in any sort of animal infestation is going to be environmentally linked. The fact that our weather has been so much more milder um, is having huge implications with a lot of different animals, a lot of different insects. Um, and again, these moths that we're talking about are textile moths and they feed on a natural fibre called keratin. Um, so it, it, it's these moths that we're looking at. And where in the house are we most likely to find them? So it's anywhere where you've got natural fibre. So keratin is um, in a lot of different things. It's in hair, it's in fur, it's in wool, um, it's in horn, hooves, but not antlers, funnily enough. And you also have keratin in fingernails and stuff like that. But it's generally anywhere you've got um, natural textiles, so be it jumpers, clothes, or even your carpets, tapestries, and that sort of thing that could be in the house. And the damage they can do? Um, It's generally, again, the larvae, the um, sort of caterpillar phase of them that does the damage because it's the feeding phase. And they will do significant damage to fabrics that ruin your carpets, that ruin your clothes, that put holes in it. and it's because they need this um, fibre keratin in order to grow. But generally, you're going to find them in sort of undisturbed areas as well. So with carpets, you're generally going to find them under your settees and sofas, under your units you have, maybe under your TV stands. If you've got dressers or anything like that on top of your carpets, under those areas because they're stable and they're undisturbed. And do we have many different species of moths? Um, yeah, the main two that we have, which are textile um, damaging moth would be the case-bearing clothes moth and the common clothes moth. And they're the ones that are going to do the damage. And, and I take... And do and people don't discover it until they go to pull a jumper out of a cupboard yeah. and there's holes in it, is it? it? It can be, yeah. It can be that thing. And that's the thing. It, it's making sure that everything's fully cleaned and stored in sort of airtight um, bags before we um, put them away to storage. And a lot of the time we like to store stuff in our attics. Mm. And the thing is, because keratin is found in natural fibres, it's found in feathers. Um, sometimes you might have birds nesting in your reefs. So attics aren't always the best place to store stuff either. Unless it's in some kind of a sealed container or a sealed yeah. bag. yeah. Exactly. And then and you've got, you have top spring cleaning tips to try to help with moss inf- infestations. What, what do you say? Is it just keep our houses clean? Um, yeah, it can be. But again, because we're always very good at cleaning what we can see, but it's the areas we can't see. Yeah. So it's swinging 
tip your sofa back and make sure it gets a good good uh, hoovering under that. Because again, because the more we disturb an environment, the less attractive it is to a pest because they, like us, they want a nice, stable environment. So if it's not stable, they're less likely to be there. But yeah, it's cleaning areas, the hard-to-reach areas, making sure if we do store our clothes and our textiles that we do it in sealed bags and suitcases, making sure that the clothes aren't soiled or dirty before they get stored away. Especially, I know in our attic, we've got loads and loads of kid, kids' clothes, and you know with those, they need a good good high wash before they get um, put away. Um, are are, are moths more attracted to dirty clothes than clean clothes? Um yeah, they, well, they do like they do like soiled, well, do clothing, they? especially if it's got a little bit of moisture. And again, if something's slightly soiled or, or damp, it gets in. You're raising the humidity in it, and they do like a bit of humidity and moisture. Especially um, the common clothes moth, it does like stuff that's a little bit soiled. And when you say that you have been, you've seen an increase in in calls. Uh, why? At what point would somebody call Rentacle to come out for moths? Would, would the infestation um, be really bad? Usually, as you said, it's when they all suddenly see it or they pull out clothing and it's damaged or they um, might be that they're doing a bit of spring cleaning or moving furniture about and they find the damage or they actually start to see the insects themselves. Um, and then, yeah, then the sort of red light goes on and they call us. Oh. And what can you do when you, when you do get there? Um, again, we're, we're look. Firstly, we'll have to identify the pest to make sure we know which species it is. And then um, there's a number of different sort of treatments we can do um, from anything from using heat treatment and steam to using chemical treatment. OK, a couple of our listeners uh, on uh, saying, uh, Michael saying, uh, Patricia, hi, moths have a field day on woolen jumpers. He sounds like somebody who's speaking from experience. <laughs> yeah, and uh, and Audrey that. said, I have discovered moths. They do like wool jumpers. Mothballs are very hard to get. Can your experts yeah. suggest anything else that we could use? Now, I did have somebody earlier when I mentioned you were coming on saying they bought mothballs. Uh, they think they bought them in a chemist. But others are saying they're just hard to get. And what's your view? on mothballs and do they stink? Yeah, well the, the thing like obviously I, I'm, I'm not that young anymore I'm in my 40s and I remember when I was little we always used to go to Cornwall to my nans and my nans when you're little you're hiding cupboards don't you playing hide and seek with yeah. siblings and my nans always used to reek of mothballs um, <laughs> it's just one of those things that takes me back to my childhood but yeah a lot of them used okay, a, a product called Vapona yeah. um, and again as we progress in time, things just stop being used and then a risk assessment say, oh no, it's unsafe to use now. So that was the problem with mothballs. They sort of, depending what the active ingredient is with them, um, it'll be stuff that's just no longer in use. So it's just sort of a dying thing. And again, because we have so many synthetics and we're much more of a throwaway culture now, they don't seem to be a thing. But the, the best thing really that you can do is just thoroughly hoover, thoroughly, especially closets and wardrobe sometimes it's good to give them a good clean out and a hoover around as well just because you get lint and debris build up in them which can be a starting point for an infestation um, and a listener's Kalesian Drummahan says uh, could you ask your expert from Rent-A-Kill who's Richard Faulkner by the way could he discuss cluster flies please yeah cluster flies again this time of year they're usually Again, that the, the kind of start to move out of buildings now we've got nice weather. So cluster flies, um, the most common species we deal with is called Pelenia rudis, the common cluster fly. And 
these are the guys in the summer you'll see on the south-facing parts of your buildings and on your picket fences and stuff taking in the sunshine. They actually lay their eggs in soil and their larvae predate earthworms. They're not really a public health pest. And then when we get cold snap and the weather starts to turn, usually around September, they start to migrate into buildings. They get in under roof tiles and around Velux windows. And they literally cluster together to overwinter. And then what usually happens is at this sort of time, we start using our lights a lot more and turning our heating down. And they start to come down through light fittings and out the gaps around yeah. the windows. And that's because they think it's suddenly summer in your house. <laughs> so it, it's, again, usually anybody who's in a rural area, you're going to be more prone to them. And anybody who's got a green or parkland or anything like that around them because they need the soil. So, again, if you've got reasonably large garden, it can help as well. But that, that's why they're there. So it's just making sure that all your cats are well sealed um, and that sort of thing. But you, you get them yellow swarming fly and autumn fly are the other sort of two that we really get that do that. And what when you do, do you think of Rent-A-Killer, what's the most common call-out? Is it, is it mice and rats and um, things? Yeah, our, our core business has always been rats and mice, but um, it used to be quite seasonal. So once you've got into sort of mid to late spring, into the summer, it's all going to be insects. But because we're, we're noticing that our climate's changing quite a lot, um, and we used to say, oh, yeah, and then it's sort of September till March is going to be your main rodent season, but it's all sort of changing and everything is sort of almost 12 months a year now. But yeah, predominantly it would be rats and mice. And then insect-wise, it's going to be flies. This moths, um, fleas have actually been on the increase so far this year as well. We've noticed a lot more um, activity for them both here and in the UK. And then um, sort of other stuff like wasps last year were really, really bad and it's probably going to have a similar year this year with them as well. So everything seems to be on the up because of the change in the weather. And that's, like we, that's to do with climate change, isn't yeah, it? it? Yeah, isn't it? yeah. yeah. Because who would have thought, when you look at this time last year, we were sort of a minimum of six inches deep in snow yeah. everywhere. And, look, and, and, look, and, and we've just come out of our mildest February in exactly. 60 years. Exactly. And actually, it's interesting. It's, it, mad, it's it? interesting with the wasps because regularly throughout the summer months we'll get calls into, we do a weekly gardening slot and we'll get calls in about people not not sure if it's a wasp's nest or, or, or if it's a bees a beehive yeah. and yeah. our gardening expert always says call the experts in, you do not attempt yeah. to get rid of a, a wasp's nest yourself. No, and it's the same as if I get a leak at home I won't. I'll turn the water off. I'm not going to try and fix my plumbing because somebody would do it properly and I'll just make it worse. But yeah, yeah, you have to be careful with these things. And the thing is as well with wasps, for the first part of the year, they're very beneficial because they're getting rid of your garden pests, they're protein feeders. It's just later on in the year as the the hive, the the nest breaks down, that they um, go out looking for sugar and basically get drunk. <laughs> okay. Okay, and that's when they be, that's when they become dangerous. Yeah. Okay, you are a mine of information, uh, Richard. Uh, thank you so My much pleasure. for joining us on the program. Lovely. And thanks, thanks for, for joining. Bye bye. That bye is uh, bye. Richard Faulkner, who, Faulkner, who's the technical field consultant uh, for Rintikel. Eighteen fifty three 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 one zero three scam calls. Maria Middleton says I got a scam call this morning, uh, and I decided to quiz the person on the other end of the line. I said, "How do I know you're from Air? Prove it to me." And she. She said, 
Was this Emily, Annie or Susan? She said, I have your phone number. Isn't that enough? And Maureen Middleton says, well, if, OK, you have my phone number. What's my account number? She hummed and hawed and then she hung up. Julie says, Patricia, I'm just wondering, does anybody know exactly what part of Bandon the crash that you mentioned a couple of minutes um, ago is? I'm going to Cork and I want to avoid it. I've just checked and the crash uh, was, is, was is, this was the three car collision between Billy Callan's and Kevin O'Leary's but John Paul has just checked and I'm told it's been cleared and the traffic is moving. There's probably a bit of a backlog while the traffic is moving on. So I don't know, Julie, how soon you're leaving to head to Cork, but you should be should be OK. But it's in and, it was in and around between Billy Callans and Kevin O'Leary's. It was on that side of uh, Bandon on the approach road in where the accident happened and hopefully everybody is OK. OK, people reacting to Richard Faulkner from Rent-A-Kill who joined us talking about the problem with moth infestation. Somebody has sent me um, a picture of from of moth mothballs from they're sold by Rentakill actually they're a type of moth ball because Richard was of the view that they're gone that they're whatever active ingredient was in it could have changed though from the old moth balls we were talking about years ago the ones we all remember granny having and the smell of moth balls in, 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 in your grandmother's bedroom someone else says my nan used to put a few bars of unwrapped strong smelling soap in a drawer with clothes that was when she couldn't get moth balls and that seemed to work and I'm straight away thinking of carbolic soap. Remember carbolic soap, which as far as I know you can still get. Wasn't it red in colour? And this smell from carbolic soap. It's a, it's a smell I associate with school. For some reason carbolic, the nuns, I was a Loretta Convent pupil and the nuns used to always use carbolic soap to clean with. And that smell of carbolic soap will always bring me back to my school days. So it probably was something like that, I imagine, that your nan was using. Because honest to God, the smell of carbolic soap is really, really strong. And I imagine it probably would work like mothballs in that a very strong smell. And I'm assuming it's the strong smell that keeps the moths away. Or maybe it was that our grandparents kept their houses tidier or cleaner I don't know because listening to Richard and all the advice he was giving a lot of it is to do with you know making sure that you vacuum regularly and you know check for all those hidden areas under furniture and that but I think one of the points he made as well was the older generation they had to look after their clothes I mean if they had a wool jumper that wool jumper was going to last them for many many years we have a tendency to throw out things and we could be throwing out things that did have a moth hole in it that you didn't even notice because you suddenly got rid of it and sent it on to the charity shop or sent it on for recycling so maybe we're not noticing as much moth damage as is actually going on and then somebody and unfortunately the Richard was off the line when I saw this but we'll give it out to see if anybody can offer advice uh, could you please ask the your pest control expert about the millipedes that have gone mad in West Cork recently they come out at about 7pm in the evening and they crawl all over the building and even come into the house any cures please anybody else knows that millipedes now I don't know if it's just in West Cork but this listener reckons they've gone mad in West Cork recently is it happening in other areas and at about 7 in the evening and why 7 in the evening I don't know and then they're crawling all over the buildings and even into the house and I'm wondering could that have something to do with the mild weather 
that we're experiencing at the moment because that sounds to me like something we would speak about and deal with in very warm weather during the summer months. I mean, remember the wonderful period of very warm weather that we had? Was it July of last year? Do you remember we had the glorious uh, few weeks? We were as, as hot as the continent uh, was and we took great pleasure in saying that. And then there was people complaining that it was too warm. And I do remember that during that time when we would have Peter on the gardening, on our gardening slot, we were getting calls in for people saying that they had problems and I'm sure millipedes was one of the issues that got addressed and that crawling up the side of buildings I particularly remember and I think at the time we were saying it was to do with the warm weather so I'm wondering because millipede activity in February or now where are we into the 1st of March is rather unusual. Anybody else noticing that or does anybody else have a solution to it? If John Paul gets a chance we'll ask him to get back on to Richard Faulkner of uh, Rent-A-Kill to see if Rent-A-Kill have come across it or is it something that's only happening in West Cork and we'll see if we can find and in the meantime anyone with a cure to help out our listener who wants to get rid of the millipedes climbing up the building and even coming into the house. Bad enough that they're climbing up the side of the building but to have them coming into the house not not having that at all 1850-333-103 we're going to take a break we have news at 12 midday in the next hour we'll go to the movies with Mark Malone and we're also going to catch up with Karen Penny as she continues her walk around the whole coastline of Ireland and the whole coastline of the United Kingdom but we're trying to see how she gets on when she's here with us in Cork The C103 Cork Diary is a free service to help non-profit organisations all over Cork so if you're a community group or a charity that's holding a fundraising event or meeting send us the details at least one week in advance and we'll tell Cork all about it email info at c103.ie The Cork Diary With Cork County Council supporting businesses supporting communities Serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. C103. You're listening to Cork Today on replay. Phone and text lines are currently closed. Somebody was on the phone wondering, was that you too? No, it's not you too. It is Phil uh, Collins. On under 18s trying to get work. This was prompted by a listener who contacted us early this morning. Her 17-year-old son trying to get part-time work. I'm assuming he's still in school. Trying to get part-time work in the Mallow area and having absolutely no luck at all. And she's wondering, is it just her son? Is it a general thing? Would anyone have suggestions? Does anybody know why 17-year-olds are not picking up uh, part-time work? Joan in McCroom wonders, could it be the age is the key? The fact that he is only 17. She wonders, do a lot of employers look for young people to be 18 and over? And is it to do with insurance and the cost of insurance that it might cost them more if they have an under 18 working? And I, I don't know. I, I don't know. And I suppose the only way we'd find out from that is have many other seven, 17 and you know 16, 17 year olds managed to pick up work? Is it is it very widespread? Because someone else was on, a breather was on to say, my 17 year old daughter is also trying to get part time work in Mallow, handed a CV in everywhere twice, not even had a reply. She feels very fed up about it all. She put a CV into every restaurant and most asked her, did she have experience? She can't get experience if she doesn't get, if nobody gives her a chance says Breda and that's frustrating when they're asking so they're obviously only looking for people with experience but Breda's right how do you get experience if somebody doesn't give you the first trial and say look come in let's let's give you the experience that you need and it saddens me 
to think that a young person like that handing CVs in and not even getting a reply. And I know certainly during the downturn in the economy, that was one of the biggest complaints we would have heard about on this programme and, and you would have heard on a lot of other radio shows was unemployed people desperately trying to get work and sending out letters and handing CVs in and there could be a cost involved, you know, in getting an up-to-date CV and getting nothing, not getting any kind of an acknowledgement to the CV, not getting any type of a reply. And some businesses at the time came out and defended it and said that they were getting so many applications during the downturn, during the recession, that it would have, it was a cost reason that they weren't replying. And, you know, I remember at the time, even if you could have a standard letter, price of a stamp, you know, but I suppose, yeah, if a business is getting a, a lot of, a lot of communication, but there's emails, there's other ways. I just think there's other ways of communicating with people rather than no communication at all. And it's disheartening to a 17 year old who is just starting out on that journey of work. And you'd like to think that, you know, young people would be treated well and treated with respect. But it's, it certainly doesn't look like from what Breathe's daughter is talking about, that that is uh, happening. Now, moths and moth ball balls and carbolic soap and all of that and millipedes. We're getting lots of calls and commentary in on that. Um, Michael says the real camphor are mothballs can be got in pharmacies. Other substitutes are not anywhere near as efficient. I've got them in Boots Pharmacy, but I do know that you can also get them in other pharmacies. You just need to ask for mothballs or camphor, which obviously is the main ingredient in mothballs. And that gives it the smell, is it? And Michael says there is also a little shop on the square in McCroom where they there could be a chance of getting them because that gentleman and sells everything including that red soap that's the carbolic so is it still called carbolic soap people are referring to it as red soap I don't know if it's in my day I certainly remember it as a child being called carbolic soap Michael says that's still available a little shop on the square in McCroom and somebody has sent me in a picture of a bar of carbolic soap and says Mr Price has carbolic soap says uh, this uh, listener who sent me in a picture of her bar of carbolic soap sitting on her soap tray. So there's somebody using it. And actually, I think there was someone else sent in a text saying that they use carbolic soap all the time. So it's Angela. Thank you, Angela. Angela says, I use that red soap every day. Nothing wrong with it, Angela. And I'd say you've got the cleanest hands going. It's just the smell of it. I just don't like the smell. And the flip of that is, as an example, it's funny how we're all different. I love the smell of bleach and I would I would know friends of mine and family members who absolutely hate the smell of bleach and I love that smell so it's a bit like that if you're happy and okay with the smell of carbolic soap a great soap to be using but just the smell would certainly do it uh, for me uh, Anne says uh, Patricia yes I think mothballs do contain camphor uh, but I don't know if you can get if it, well people are saying it is available but you could get camphor oil can't you get oil with camphor and use that instead these millipedes that we got the text in earlier on from a West Cork listener who says West Cork has gone mad with these millipedes. They come out at seven o'clock, call all over the building and can even come into your house. Francis in League says, yes, Patricia, have to agree with that other texture. I have them all over my house in League, And yes, they do appear at about 7pm in the evening. Horrible creatures is what our Francis says. Uh, love your uh, programme. But then, 
Someone else is making a point that has to be accepted as well. Sandra says, Patricia, 60% of the world's insects are facing extinction. If this vital part of nature's food chain is eradicated by humans, we and our descendants are doomed. It seems petty to be worrying about a few moths and a few flies. They're a temporary nuisance in our home, says uh, Sandra. And a lot of people will agree with Sandra on that. But it's when you're faced with it and you have an infestation or you have a lot of these millipedes coming into your house, then it becomes a different it's a different kettle of fish and I know what you're saying it is only a temporary nuisance but I, still, I don't know if I would like the idea of having the millipedes uh, in my house somebody's making the point that usually small birds will feed thank you by the way uh, Sandra very valid point um, usually small birds feed on those millipedes if you are feeding birds they won't peck them okay stop feeding the birds and that's where nature will take its course other than that when the weather changes uh, it will they should disappear power washing says this listener will also help and try spraying with something called Chlorus, C-H-L-O-R-O-S, Chlorus. And Anthony says, Patricia, you can get cedar wood rings. They come in a pack of six. You hang one on a clothes hanger or place them in a drawer and they work a treat to get rid of and the moths won't come in. Rather than trying to get rid of them, kill them off, but they won't come in. And they don't give out any smell, says Anthony. Okay, that kind of sounds like the type of product that I would love. And Peg says, Patricia, if you Google how to repel moths, it gives you a list of natural products to use. And that's what we want. We want the natural products. I think that's, Sandra would agree with us on that. Natural products so you don't get the infestation, so you don't have to be killing them off. And and, and she is right. We are the the, the insects are facing uh, extinction and something has to be done about it. Thank you for that, uh, Peg. How to repeal moths. Let's go the natural way to uh, do it. Toomey's Hardware McCroom Super Shop. They stock everything, says M. Oh, that's the little shop in McCroom, was it, that somebody texted about and didn't have the name? Okay. Toomey's Hardware in McCroom. They stock everything from, they sound like one of those shops that stock everything from a needle to a haystack. You want it, in you go. Katie McCroom says, bay leaves. Good way to get rid of moths. There you go. And it repels them. I'm, I'm assuming, again, it's probably the smell of it. Back to the millipedes. Angela in Castletown Bear. I have those millipedes. Seems to be, the the original texture is right. It seems to be a West Cork problem because we're not getting calls in from anywhere else. All the calls so far in the texts have come from West Cork. I have millipedes on my wall in Castletown Bear. If I, but if you put down ant power and also you can put down a product called Vicam W that works. It's a 15 gram sachet and you spray that and it gets rid of them. Some of them are very long, over an inch in length when they open up and they crawl into your house. Okay, there's, if if you really need to get rid of them, that's the suggestion coming in from uh, Angela, but if that's going down the chemical route of getting rid of them, try and see if you can find a more natural uh, way. I like that suggestion. Stop feeding the birds in the garden and the birds will eat them and that's all to do with the balance of of nature. Um, Richard got 
Oh, Richard got back. Oh, this is Richard Faulkner from Rentakill. OK, thank you. It's usually a weather thing, he says. If they're coming in or around the house, they're usually looking for vegetation around the house. The, this is more uh, an outside issue. You'll find them around flowers and bushes and beds. Shrubbery is what is attracting them. But it is a weather thing. So I was right. My guess was right that it's to do with the mild February that we have been uh, having. 1850 John Paul taking your calls. Text or WhatsApp 0862 103 103. The C103 Cork Diary. With Cork County Council. Supporting businesses, supporting communities, serving Cork. Visit corkcoco.ie. There is a pioneer social going on in Gagan Hall uh, tonight, dancing to Lee Sound from half past nine, and teas will be served. All are welcome. A fundraising comedy night will be held in the Schoolyard Theatre in Charleville tonight. It's in aid of Zoe Shanahan Crowley, who is a student from Skalmwira in Butterfant, and she is going to India in April to work with the Hope Foundation. Open Door Drama Group are presenting a three-act play called Awake in the West that's in Drumahan Hall tonight at eight. Ballonhassie Community Development are holding a fundraising dance in the Marion Hall. Music by Pat Costello. That's from 9.45pm. And Kildallery Bingo, that's going ahead tonight in the Community Hall at half past eight. All are welcome. And staying with Kildallery tomorrow, there is a sale of homemade cakes and jams and garden produce all in aid of St. Joseph's Foundation. It's happening tomorrow morning in Kildallery Parish Hall from half ten until one. Donations of cake and bric-a-brac would be gratefully appreciated. Women's World Day of Prayer, international and interdenominational movement. It has been celebrated today in St Mary's Church of Ireland opposite the Donnerill Park entrance at 8.15. This year's service has been put together by the women of Slovenia and the theme is on the Great Banquet. All are welcome. Uncovering the Rory Gallagher behind the legend, a talk uh, by about Rory Gallagher on the eve of his 71st birthday. It'll happen this evening at half past six at Rory Gallagher Music Library on the Grand Parade. Uh, free, it's free. All are welcome. Irish National School Parents Association, they've got a night of style and fun with colour and image specialist Joan Cashman. That's tonight in the Beira Coast Hotel. Eight o'clock start, 10 euro per ticket and you get your tickets at the door. Clyde Rovers have got their annual lotto draw. Derry Murphy's bar tonight. 12,500 euro is the jackpot. And due to a tragic local bereavement in Enniskeen earlier this week, the live entertainment planned for tomorrow night's afternoon. Saturday in the village in the scheme will now not go ahead. Just a couple of quick texts in on the under 18s finding it difficult to find work. Catherine Domamwe says most petrol stations and supermarkets, a lot of under 18s, you know, young people get part time work. But with the new law in place, Catherine says, if, if I decide to pick up a bottle of wine after I've got my fuel, the young lad or girl serving at the checkout if they're under 18 can't sell me and serve me the bottle of wine. They'll have to call somebody else. I've been in the situation before where I was standing at a checkout, grabbed the bottle of wine at the last minute. The young person says I can't take the money for that. Had to get somebody else. Queue of people behind me and you're standing there mortified with the bottle of wine in your hand thinking, did I really need to pick up the bottle of wine? And that could be an issue 
in some business premises while they're not employing under 18s. Just a suggestion from Catherine in Dumanway. Thank you for that, Catherine. 1850 and the amount of people talking about carbolic soap and how it is still available, even though some people says new name for it, Sunlight Soap is the new name for it. I don't know if anybody's still calling it uh, carbolic soap. We're getting a lot of calls in to say James Walls in Drumcolour sells carbolic soap and this listener says I wash my hair hair and face with it every day <laughs> squeaky clean okay we have been catching up with uh, Karen Penny from Wales as she walks her way around the Cork coastline all part of her incredible four year charity walk in aid of Alzheimer research to see how her week has been going uh, Karen once again uh, joins me good afternoon she Karen Good afternoon, Patricia. How are you? I'm very well. And the first thing I have to say to you is happy St. David's Day. Do you know what it is? And I had a lovely lovely message from home this morning with a picture of some daffodils and Welsh cakes just to remind me. <laughs> it was lovely. <laughs> and I imagine you're seeing a lot of daffodils along the way, are you? I'm seeing a lot of daffodils along the way and, and today quite a lot of rain along the way as well. <laughs> yeah, we've had it. It's a wet day. Yeah. Because we've had a beautiful week and I've been thinking of you all week. I mean, you, weather-wise, you had, you had a good week this week and it was mild. I had the sun cream out on Monday. <laughs> I mean, can you believe it? Sun cream in February. I mean, I'm quite fair-skinned anyway, but I mean, it was that hot and I was drinking water like it, like it, like it didn't exist. In fact, a car stopped and gave me a two-litre bottle of water and said, I think you need some of that because it was really, really warm walking. Um, but yeah, lovely week. And it's only really today, to be honest, that, that, that wet, the wet, I've had the wet weather. And, you know, as I'm talking to you, um, and lovely people, Margaret and Nula from um, just outside Iris, have invited me into their house here so I can have a cup of tea. So it's such good timing. I can talk to you on the phone. Hi to, hi to Nula and Margaret. Uh, the West Cork hospitality, uh, you're seeing it in abundance, Karen. Um, unbelievably so. I mean, last last Saturday, I mean, I went to the lovely park run at Glengarris. I, I met some fantastic runners there and walkers. And I walked with a lovely lady called um, Mary, uh, who ultimately uh, let me stay in a little chalet at her house when I got back to Glengarris this week on my walk. Um, and I went down to Goline to the farmer's market there where, you know, lots of homemade sort of products and, and importantly cake <laughs> uh, in abundance. Um, and then the Crookhaven Inn down at um, Crookhaven, which is just open now. Um, for the season, um, a lady called Emma, who's, who's done some long distance sort of running herself, um, and she invited my, invited me down there for something to eat, which was fantastic. And then this week, I've been walking um, the, the Bearer Peninsula from Bantry and the West Lodge Hotel, who put me up, um, down to Glengariff, and then down to Castletown Bear, which I arrived on Tuesday, um, and I walked into McCarthy's Bar. I mean, what oh. a place that is. And had you... Had you... Place. Had you heard about McCarthy's Bar before you got there? No, oh, I have no idea. My husband is, you know, he's 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 such a lovely chap, and he's been looking after me and sort of ringing ahead and trying to find places that I can stay and such like. And he said, "Well, call into McCarthy's Bar." So, you know, I call into McCarthy's Bar. I've read the book. I, I, I bought the book twenty years ago when Did I was you? flying out on holiday, and you know, Pete McCarthy wrote this fabulous book. Such a funny book. I laughed all the way through it, and little did I know that twenty years later, there I am walking into McCarthy's bar. But, but aside from that, the story then of their father, uh, Doctor Aidan McCarthy, you know, in the sword, the sword and, yeah, 
you know, yeah. what happened, you know, to him at the war and how he survived. All those terrible things that happened to him, torpedoes, you know, the atomic bomb, um, drowning, he rescued people from an aircraft. And after all of that, he still had the humility and the compassion to show, you know, mm. compassion to to his cha- Japanese occupiers and who gave him a sword. You know, absolutely amazing. And there's a fabulous book. Can I um, suggest I, if you... Yeah, program, yeah, yeah, can, I, can I suggest if you want a good read that the Dr. Sword, the book is a fantastic read. Uh, honestly, I mean, it's it's just, it's, it's, it's really fascinating. And I put a little bit up on my Facebook group about it because I couldn't do justice to it, you know. And I thought, right, this weekend I've got a bit of downtime. I'm actually going to do quite a full piece about it because it'd be, I just think, for people following me and friends who'd be really interested would love to hear about what happened. It was just amazing. Yeah. And I, I've been following you on your Facebook page. You, you, there's people following you all over the world. I know. It, and, and do you know something? I think that's what, you know, that's the thing about Alzheimer's. It's not, it's not just a national thing. It doesn't just relate to Wales or, or England or Scotland or Ireland. It, it's international. It, you know, Alzheimer's affects everybody. And I think as a result of that, people, you know, from all over the world are interested in what I'm doing. You know, I've got American um, uh, following. I've got, I've, I've got some American um, uh, followers who are coming out to meet me in July. They keep asking me where I'm going to be. I keep saying, I've got no idea. <laughs> <laughs> the rate, rate I'm walking at the moment, I don't know where I'm going to be in July, but so they're coming out to meet me in July. So it puts Ireland on the map as well, because people say to me, will you keep, please keep putting up pictures of the lovely places that you're walking through and telling us about it? You know, even if you can't do, write a lot, put pictures up, because it's like, it's like a, it's like a sort of opening, isn't it, to a, to another part of the world that people haven't been to. And it's, it's, it's great. It's, it's, it's a real privilege for me doing this walk. I, I'll be honest with you, it really is. We'll get you a job with the tourist board uh, yet. And, <laughs> and you, did, you, did your, you did your park run, which you said you would do. And, and you, I know your aim was anywhere where you're near where there's a park run going on, you're going to try and do it. Now, there's a park run on Bear Island tomorrow. And I'm going there tomorrow. Hey, hey. Can you believe that? I mean, a lovely gentleman, I haven't met him, called John Walsh is picking me up from Irie's in the morning yeah. at 20 past eight and he's going to drive me back to Castletown Bear and then catch him the ferry over to Bear Island to do a park run. I mean, fancy catching a ferry to do a park run. That is just incredible. Yeah. So, yeah, really looking forward uh, to that. Bear Island again, is, really, is... We're really kind. And Bear Island is beautiful. You're going to have your have the camera ready for photographs there. Now, last week, Mark, your husband left. He went back last weekend. Yes, he, he went home last Sunday and I walked to Doris. It was a bit of a wrench, I have to say, him yeah. going. It's like, um, you know, when, you, when, you, when somebody's so far away from you, and I know he rings me every day and we speak to each other every day, but he was quite upset when he went and uh, he's probably brought himself together now and composed himself and put his, his stern face back on. <laughs> but, you know, he was, it, was, it is always a wrench when he goes, but he's coming back over in April. And um, he's going to spend, this time he hopes to spend about two weeks over here. Our okay. cat, who he, you know, we've got 21-year-old cat at home. And <laughs> he went uh, for some sleepovers at some friends' house and quite enjoyed it. So um, so I think that he, he's, he'll be going again soon and Mark will be coming back over, which would be great. Because you can see a bit more of Ireland then as well. And are you sticking to your, are you managing 15 miles a day? I remember initially that's what you were hoping yes. to do. You're keeping to that, okay. Yeah, I, I think my fitness now has got to the point where, you know, 15 miles is great. 16 miles and then my feet are having a grumble then. So I yeah. think they like the 15-mile mark. Um, and, 
you know, it's um, it, it's what I'm walking on the roads a lot, obviously, because you know you can't walk on the coastline here, as such. But so you know, they they do get a little bit punished at the end of the day. But it, it's funny when you get somewhere and, and you can have a shower and uh, or you're able to put your feet up for half an hour, you feel like a new pin the next day. So you just start again, and um, you know, you, if, if you have a tough day walking, it's all forgotten about the next day. And today it's pouring as rain, but look where I am, you know, at Nula's house having a cup of tea. Amazing. In a beautiful neck of the woods. Okay, so out to Bear Island for the park run uh, tomorrow. Will you take Sunday off then, have a bit of a rest? Yes, yeah, so on Saturday, yeah, Saturday's park run. So then on Saturday, I'm going to be um, very kindly, They've um, McCarthy's have said, look, come and stay here with us after the park run on Saturday. So they're pushing me up for the, for the day and I'm having a day off walking. Yeah. And then I'm going back to Irie's on the Sunday and then I'm walking to, um, yeah, forgive me for the pronunciations, Lara. Lara, yeah. Larry, Lara, Lara. And then, um, oh, I keep forgetting, Ken, 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 Ken. I've forgotten. Uh, it begins with a K. It's at the top of the peninsula. I'm heading like, Ken Ma, Ken Ma. Ken Mayer. How can I forget Ken, that? Ken Mayer. Yeah, Ken Mayer. Ken yeah. You're heading, heading there. You're heading into I Kerry. Haven't, I haven't planned the route yet. Okay, you're heading, heading into Kerry. Though, Kerry yeah. into Kerry. Okay. All right, listen, good luck with it. Good luck. Uh, enjoy uh, Bear Island tomorrow and enjoy your last few days uh, in Cork. And it's good to know that you're getting such fantastic hospitality. And it's been great chatting to you once again. And somebody says, best of luck to Karen. This is Philip who says, when we We've been talking about Sunlight Soap today. Somebody says, best of luck to Karen from the land of Sunlight Soap, Port Sunland, oh. Port Sunlight in Wales. Is it? Is it, is it, it Port Sunlight? Yeah. Is, is, is that, it's not where they make... There is. Do they make Sunlight Soap there? Do you know what? I think they do. do they? I think it's North Wales. And I'm absolutely sure they do. Okay. Absolutely sure they do. I'm going to look it up. I'm going to look it up. Okay. Afterwards. All right. Well, Philip, one of our listeners, who's just one of those fantastic encyclopedic brain, the fact has come in from him. It, it probably it, it it will be true. All right. Listen. Look after yourself, and we'll talk again soon. Thank you very much. Okay, take care. Bye bye. Bye bye. That is uh, Karen uh, Penny. There seems to be just a very slight delay on the phone, but hopefully that didn't take in any way uh, from uh, our our chat with her. She's such a lovely, lovely lady. We wish her the best of luck and well done to everyone in West Cork who have come out and just been so kind to her and helping her along the way because it's just an incredible undertaking. Four years she will be away from home on this journey to raise money for Alzheimer research and she's already a quarter of the way through a quarter of the way through what she'd hoped to raise so she'll smash the fundraising side of it and it's all going to go to Alzheimer research but it's also to put an awareness and a spotlight on Alzheimer the Alzheimer disease and you know anything that we can do to help her out along the way and we wish her well so well done I, I knew I knew that Cork would look after and look after her well. We can be very proud of all of the people who have who have helped her. And someone's just back in by text saying, sorry, it must have been a, a misspelling on my text. I meant if you feed the birds near dwellings, the birds will feed on the millipedes. OK, sorry, my apologies. I thought this is the problem with the millipedes in the house. I thought the person was saying stop feeding the birds so that the birds then will eat the, the millipedes. It's the opposite. Encourage the birds into the garden and encourage, put bird feeders near where the millipedes are walking up along the bi- the building and the birds then will go for both the food and for the millipedes. Okay, glad to clarify that. This is the Court Today replay on C103. 
Mark Malone, our movie reviewer, joins us on this Friday afternoon. Good afternoon to you, Mark. Good afternoon, Patricia. Okay, you went to the movies to see Alita, mm-hmm. Battle Angel, and on DVD, it's First Man. Here is a trailer, though, from Alita. I've never seen anything like this. Who am I? She's the last of her kind. So I'm 300 years old. Alita, you are. You have the most advanced weapon ever. And this world needs you. She's given the people hope. Destroyed her. You made the biggest mistake of your life. And what's that? Underestimating who I am. Alita, Battle Angel. Alita, that's a lovely name. Uh, she's a deactivated female cyborg. Yeah. And she's a, what's a cyborg? A cyborg. Half, half human, half oh, ro- okay. robot. Yes. All right. Okay. And uh, this is directed by Robert Rodriguez. It's kind of interesting because he kind of tends to mix kind of very violent movies like Machete and Sin City. And then he makes the Spy Kids movies, which I always thought was very odd, but it just shows he, he's a talented boy, obviously. Yeah, he can do um, it all. Yeah, he wasn't meant to direct this because uh, it was James Cameron who was meant to, to direct this. But uh, James Cameron, you, have you ever seen Avatar, by the way? Yeah. You've yeah. seen Avatar. Do you yeah. like Avatar? Mm, I know. I th- th- those kind kind of movies don't float my boat at all. I mean, it was okay. It was okay. And I felt the exact same. I thought it was okay. He's making three, four, five, and six. No, sorry. Two, three, four, and five. He's making all those right now. He's making four movies, four Avatar movies. At the one time. At the one time. Which must be very difficult. But anyway, that's what he's doing. But you can expect those anyway to come along uh, very soon. But James Cameron was meant to direct this for a long time, but he couldn't because of his commitment anyway uh, to Alita. And there are many people who kind of like this, uh, especially people who are into your anime and manga comics. I don't know if you are. No. I'm certainly not. I've never read them. But people who are into them are obsessed by them and they love them. And this is the first time, actually, a lot of them are saying this is the first time a manga film has come out that people are actually, manga who are fans of manga and anime, are actually appreciative of. Oscar. And then you've got people of my age who kind of go, I don't understand what all the fuss is about, but I yeah. kind of enjoyed what I saw on screen. So, yeah, so it, Christopher Waltz plays uh, Dr. Dyson, right? And um, there's nothing in his life, uh, a vacuum in his life. Did you see what I just uh, did there? So he needs something Dyson. in his life. So what he basically does is um, he puts people back together again because this is set in, once again, a dystopian future, way into the future after all the wars. So people have lost legs, people have lost arms. So basically what he does is he trawls the dumps of elect- uh, electronics and finds electronics to rebuild people and rebuild their arms and rebuild their put legs. Put them back together and again. Put them back together again. And once he's in the dump, he finds basically a head. And it's the head of elite and he realises that the brain still works. So what he does is he reconstructs a body around her. And so therefore when she comes to, she realises that she doesn't understand uh, what's going on at first. She doesn't uh, know what's happened in the past because she's lost her memory. But they find that she has extraordinary skills and she plays, there's this very violent game that the street kids play and she gets involved with that and she suddenly realises that she has skills that she didn't know she had. Now we've had this before in many, many movies and we have it here uh, once again. Then she finds a suit that was actually her suit from the past we find out that she was a battle angel she was um, uh, involved in battles and she was basically a weapon an extraordinary weapon with, with extraordinary uh, kind of skills but of course then once she comes back on the scene again uh, the attention is paid towards her by uh, Mahar- sorry, Marshala Ali who has just won an um, Oscar for a green book by the way oh yeah yeah 
so he's in this movie as well. So basically, he's doing an impression of Lawrence Fishburne in The Matrix. He's got the shades, he's got the voice, and he's got the kind of black uh, kind of overcoat. And uh, uh, he then goes after her with his cyborgs. So basically, it's it's a chase movie, it's a battle movie, and it's two hours of this kind of nonstop, really fast editing, kind of in your kinetic, face, in your face, kind of kinetic, kind of kind of movie making. Uh, it kind of reminded me of um, the Steven Spielberg film of a, of a couple of years ago, um, which was Ready Player One, and that's the it had the same kind of look because there's an awful lot of CGI here. It's nonstop CGI. And a lot of it is good, but unfortunately a lot of it is poor at times as well. But in the, and the best thing of it actually is when the CGI is very, very good. They've CGI'd two huge eyes on her. And if you've ever seen any anime or manga, you'll know that a lot of the characters have these very, very big eyes. And uh, it caused a bit of controversy actually. And I don't know how they did it. I'd, I'd, I'd like to know and when, you know, the, the movie comes out in DVD when you get the extras. I'd like to know, like, did they have a green kind of blindfold over her how face? How do they do it? And yeah, they and they it? are. I mean, I've just seen if stills of it, and the eyes are huge. The eyes are huge, yeah. yeah. And um, and so the the actress who plays her, Rosa Salazar, I don't know how she feels about it because it's not really her face. And yeah. a lot of the time, actually, it's not really her body either because they do animate her body in a lot of the kind of um, action kind of sequences as well, which is a bit of a shame. Um, but um, I enjoyed a lot of the action. Unfortunately, I think because of that, like Ready Player One, you don't really care about the characters all that much because you don't get to know them very much, yeah, of course. Yeah. And that's the most important thing. Um, it had a huge budget of 170 million but I don't think it's made anything close to that but as I say people who do like manga people who do like um, um, anime have been kind of they're excited uh, they, by it they, 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 yeah they like it but uh, the rest of us I mean I think it's got a 50% rating on um, uh, Rotten Tomatoes because you either like it or you don't and I was uh, I was entertained by it but uh, I didn't really quite understand it because I don't read the, read the comics they do say that you'd understand it know about it more if you read the comics but I don't so was your daughter with it was she she knew about it that's yeah. very interesting because she knew about it she knew she'd read the comics and so she knew the character she didn't really particularly like the character and so was worried about the film but she enjoyed it uh, but she enjoyed watching okay. the um, the CGI and uh, so did I but uh, I, d- I don't think it's that great actually but it's for for teenagers you know Mark it out of 10 I'd still give it a 6 though 6 okay yeah. 6 out of 10 actually it's PG-13 I've just, uh, just which is it. interesting because that's what they wanted they wanted the film for kids so when actually the robots bleed they don't bleed red blood they bleed Blue blood, which is kind of interesting. Blue blood. <laughs> yeah. All right, that's um, Alita Battle Angel. That's in the cinema on DVD. First Man. Oh, this is the Neil Armstrong one, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, Man on the Moon. Yeah, exactly. The First Man on the Moon, yeah. Which, um, it won uh, an Oscar for Best uh, Visual Effects, uh, this movie. It's directed by Damien Chazelle, who made La La Land with Ryan Gosling, who... They've teamed up here once again. Ryan Gosling plays Neil Armstrong. Uh, obviously, Damien Chazelle really likes Ryan Gosling because there's an awful lot of close-ups of his face, girls. Is there? There's an awful lot of brooding Ryan Gosling looking up at, at space in this movie. There's an awful lot of that. Uh, so it's based basically on uh, his life between 61 and 69 up until the moon landing uh, at a time when uh, it was a very, very dangerous time to do what he was doing because, of course, when he started his career, he was a test pilot and, uh, you know, there are many instances where he nearly died and a lot of those pilots, in fact, did, did at that die. time as well. Yeah. Uh, and so, of course, as we know, a lot of the astronauts did as well because Apollo 1, who were meant to go to the moon, uh, they died in a fire, a terrible fire in their capsule. So therefore, that then catapulted um, uh, Neil Armstrong uh, up into the next zone. So therefore, they then, he, along with Buzz Aldrin and Michael Collins, uh, ended up uh, going to the moon. And so the film is basically about his kind of determination 
to, to do that. And when I first saw the trailer, I thought it was going to kind of be interesting. I thought it was, they were going to kind of, it was going to be different than, say, The Right Stuff. The Right Stuff is probably the best ever film that kind of looked at that time. Um, uh, and The Right Stuff is a much better film than this. But mm. when I saw the trailer, there was a lot of emphasis on Janet Armstrong, who is Neil Armstrong's wife. And I thought that's what they were going to do, that they were going to kind of concentrate on what it's like for the families back yeah, at home. Yeah, because we all know he, he, he went there. We all know he, he stepped out in the moon. So exactly, yeah. 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 And, they, and they did so. Like that's at one stage, At one stage, she's really angry because, of course, his life has been in danger throughout all of that time. And, of course, I thought they were going to concentrate on family life and the family lives and the wives of these astronauts who are putting their lives in danger whilst they're at home terrified and wondering, are they ever going to come, come home? Yeah. And at one stage, she says to one of the guys from NASA, she says, you don't know what you're doing. You're boys with toys. That's all you're doing. You don't know. And to be honest, they didn't know, really know what they were doing because, of course, they were desperate to get there before the Russians. And, of course, um, um, the president at one stage said, look, we will get to the moon before the end of this decade. So they, so they were desperate to get there. 1969. And basically, when they did get there, I mean, they got there in a tin can. <laughs> Do you know what I yeah. mean? I mean, you can hear when they're, there's wonderful moments in space, uh, when they're in space, and you can basically hear the craft creaking. You know, and it does kind of bring you home, bring home the fact that these people were under, you know, in, in incredible danger. And, and that makes it really, really exciting, even though, of course, obviously we know what happened. And then, of course, um, when, I, when they did, and look, it's not a spoiler, we know they did get to the moon and then there was the big controversy. And I, when I was watching it, I forgot about the controversy because they don't plant the flag. And then when I was watching it, I was thinking, ooh, they didn't plant the flag. And then I remembered the controversy about it, of course. And, um, and a lot of people blamed the fact that they didn't put the American flag uh, on, on the moon. The, moon. Uh, the fact that you know, it, the film didn't do as well in the box office that people expected and people uh, actually kind of uh, say that the flag controversy was to blame for that. And when they asked the director why he didn't put it in, he said, look, there was no political reason. But I think there had to be a political reason. I think they decided not to do it so that the film would do well in other territories. Yeah. Um, uh, but... Um, and so, look, it, the film, yeah, it's, as I say, it's nowhere near as, as good as The Right Stuff. If you're a fan of The Right Stuff like I was, the Sam Shepard film from way back, it's not as good as that. The first four kind of fifths of the film is really, really good. And it seemed like all the budget went there. The actual landing on the moon it was kind of an anticlimax in the end because it had been so exciting up until then. And it was almost like they spent all the money on the special effects previous to that. And so, it, it was, yeah, in the end, I was kind of disappointed with the actual moon landing itself. But I did enjoy it. Um, I mean, it is a fascinating look at uh, an incredibly brave man and what, and what he did. Um, what the other interesting thing, though, is that uh, the character of Michael Collins is played by Lucas Haas. And it was driving me crazy the whole time. I'm thinking, who is this boy? Who's this person, Lucas Haas? And he was a little boy in Witness, you might remember, the Harrison Ford oh, yeah, film. Yeah. Oh, those years ago, yeah, and, and he's now grown up to be. was I actually didn't realize it was it was Michael Collins was the name of the third man in the. Yeah, he was. Yeah, because it's it's Buzz Aldrin and um, Neil Armstrong are the two names that everybody. But they landed on because yeah, they actually yeah. landed on the moon. They actually yeah. st- stepped onto the moon. Uh, yeah. Whereas Michael Collins Collins. was in the capsule, which kind of hovered above. Yeah, and, and yeah, 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 yeah. It's just it's a name that I, w- I wasn't aware that, yeah. that was his name. Okay, so a uh, first man, mark it out of ten. I'll give it eight. Eight, eight out of ten. Okay, thank you for that, um, Mark. Have a lovely week and we will talk to you again next uh, Friday. That's Mark Malone, our movie reviewer. Eddie in Mallow on the Millipedes has a suggestion that if you put salt on the ground, they won't cross the salt. 
Um, it's a kind of a natural way to get rid of the millipedes for the people who are contacting us. And actually, I don't know if this was the original lady who came back who who raised the issue of the millipedes is back on because she said, thanks for, for talking up the millipedes story. When they come out, the birds are not feeding in the evening because it's dark. So that solution to get the birds to eat it is not going to work. Nobody minds them in the garden, but these millipedes are getting into the house and even under the slates in the attic. They're black in colour and they actually appear vicious when you touch them when you walk around outside the house you can actually hear them crunching under your feet okay good luck uh, Ty Grimes shop in Newmarket anything you want for carbolic soap etc somebody else has a problem with ants in their house and then they got rid of the ants and then they had a problem with the socket the electrician had to open up the socket and they found that the fuse had blown on the inside but the inside of the socket was full of dead ants so you do have to be very careful when insects like that get into the house they can actually be doing damage at the same time and uh, Kate in McCroom says you bay leaves in your clothes. They're natural and safe, not like the chemicals and they're not harmful to your health. They will keep the bots at bay. Thank you to everyone who's contributed today. My thanks to John Paul McNamara for producing. Nick is with you for the afternoon. You're still listening out for your U2 tracks to win €500 for cash tracks and I'll talk to you Monday morning at 10 o'clock on Patricia Messenger. Witness history at Roland Garros, where old rivalries meet new talent on the clay battleground. Tennis Channel Plus is your place to watch. Stream every court from your phone or smart TV live in HD. Experience three weeks of unparalleled access as the world's top players in tennis face off to see if the veterans maintain their dominance or if a fresh face rises to challenge them. Daily live coverage of the French Open begins Monday, May 20th. Stream it now with Tennis Channel Plus to be there when it happens. When it comes to your finances, you think you've done it all. You've saved, you've researched, and you've invested all that you can. Now it's time to take those investments to the next level by using the brand behind every great investor, Yahoo Finance. As America's number one finance destination, Yahoo Finance has everything you need, whether you're a seasoned trader or just dipping your toes into the market. Join the millions of investors who trust Yahoo Finance to guide them on their financial journey. For comprehensive financial news and analysis, visit yahoofinance.com the number one financial destination, yahoofinance.com.